All right, let's open our Bibles. Luke chapter 5. Great text. Great text. And um, trust the Lord has great things uh, to say to us this morning. I found this uh, text just to be a challenge and encouragement to me as I was studying it. I'm going to read the first 11 verses. And as uh, I think these uh, stories are, are told to, obviously they're told to help us see Jesus. But if the reason that they're told as stories, not as a systematic theology, uh, is because we can identify with them. And uh, we can uh, sort of sense what this maybe was like. And so as we read the story, just want you to uh, see it with your mind's eye. Uh, try to catch the, the What's going on? What are the dynamics that are, that are taking place here uh, as Luke records this event for us? Luke chapter 5. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, uh, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. title of my message this morning is When Grace Comes Calling. When Grace Comes Calling. We've been going through the Gospel of Luke, looking at the ministry of, of uh, Christ, and this is obviously a signature moment as Jesus calls his disciples to come and follow him, calling the, these specific men uh, to be uh, particularly engaged as his special disciples. These will become the apostles who will lay the foundation of the church as they teach the truth that is in Jesus. Of course, this is not the first time these men have met Jesus. They've, they've already um, known of him. They were with him when he performed the miracle at the wedding of Cana. They uh, had seen him cure the sick. Peter had already seen Jesus cure his own mother. Uh, they'd seen Jesus cast out demons. They've heard Jesus preach. And they, like the others, were amazed at his preaching. So they knew of Jesus. They were already associated with Jesus. They were clearly admirers of Jesus. And yet in Luke chapter 5, they move from uh, their association with Christ to become fully devoted followers, disciples of Christ, having left their former life, left their, former, their identity, their, in a sense, their security, their, their uh, job, and they leave it all now to follow Jesus full time. And, and the question that I want to ask this morning is, what made that happen? What made uh, that transition possible where they moved from 
being admirers of Jesus, associated with Jesus, clearly delighted with Jesus, but they now move to wholehearted, complete devotion to Jesus Christ no matter what. Because that's where they're moving in Luke chapter 5. Moving from being admirers to fully devoted followers and officially associated, affiliated, committed to Jesus Christ. It's an important question because there are many in the world today and in the church today who will gladly admit that they are admirers of Jesus. There are not even many who are not uh, unwilling to be associated with Jesus in one form or another. They believe in Him. They think He was a good teacher. Maybe they even believe the truth of the Bible. He's the Son of God, and you need to be saved through Him. And so they're, they're admirers of Jesus. They're associated with Jesus. But if you would follow this person through the week, you would sense that they're not wholehearted, devoted disciples of Jesus. They don't talk to Him very much, if at all. Their prayer life is very meager, maybe a perfunctory prayer at a, at a mealtime. But they don't really spend much time talking to Him, and they don't really spend much time listening to Him. They're not, they're not really engaged in listening to music that would, that would point to Him or opening the Word to spend time hearing from Him. You don't see them in, in conversations with others about sermons that they're hearing or, or books that they're reading. There just seems to be a distance doesn't look like what we have here in Luke chapter 5 of men who are willing to commit themselves to Christ. Now, of course, all of us this morning, I think, would admit that, that, that you know, we've not arrived. Not, who would stand here this morning and say, yeah, you uh, other folks, you know, I'm, I'm all the disciple that, I've, that I want to be, that Jesus wants me to be. I think we all sense that there's something not quite right about our devotion, about our Christian life. We all want to, if you have the Spirit in you, you sense that you need to grow. You believe in Jesus, you believe the gospel, but, the, but so often there's a lack of, of joy and peace and power and freedom. Isn't that the common experience of a Christian? So how do you change that? How do you fix that? How do we grow from that? Well, we grow by actually really seeing Jesus and particularly by being exposed in his presence for what we are and then receiving the grace and truth that comes from Jesus. And that's what we find here this morning in the story of Peter. He actually meets Jesus in the most painful possible way, but he's able to really receive the grace that he needs. So here's the occasion. My three points. First, the occasion, the invasion, and the invitation. The occasion... Jesus is preaching. It's what he came to do. He told us that in Luke chapter 4. Uh, he's preaching. The crowds are pressing in on him to hear the word. They love the preaching of Jesus in chapter 4, 22. All spoke well of him and marveled at, his, at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Jesus obviously was uh, performing miracles. People were astonished by the miracles, but they loved his preaching Jesus' preaching exuded grace. Do you remember why he said he came? To proclaim good news, liberty for captives, sight for the blind, the year of God's favor, the time of God's smiling face upon sinners. 
And the people were captivated. They came from miles around. They were compelled, drawn, fascinated by such a gracious message from a man so clearly endowed with the power of God and so evidently speaking the truth of God. It wasn't, it wasn't a message of sort of syrupy, sentimental, you know, just sort of God loves everything and everyone and there's just no sentimentality about it. This is Jesus is dead earnest, and yet he's speaking this marvelous truth of freedom for captives and sight for blind people. It's a great message. It's a message, you see, that actually addresses the reality of where people are in their bondage, in their blindness, in their captivity, in their condemnation under the law of God. It doesn't, it doesn't paper over any of those truths. It addresses those truths with tr the truth of God's grace. And, and Jesus is then proclaiming exactly what people need. And I'm sure he preached it boldly and happily. Is there any doubt that as Jesus is, is proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, that there is just... a a benevolence from his, beaming from his face, as, as he's proclaiming sight for the blind, the, the, the kindness of God for, for the people all around him, the gracious, free, unmerited favor of God for prostitutes and tax collectors. Can you preach that and believe it without smiling at the goodness and kindness of God? Oh, I think Jesus, there was joy in his preaching. And so here we find Jesus in Luke chapter 5. He's, he's by the side of the sea and preaching the good news of the kingdom. And the crowds are pressing around. And because the crowd is so large um, and, and uh, they're closing in on Jesus, but some can't hear. And so Jesus sees two boats there. And one of them being Simon steps into it and it says to Simon, uh, shove off a ways from, from the shore. Now, why would they do that? Well, it's obvious he would do that because um, water is a wonderful natural microphone. You've all seen this. When uh, people are, you're standing on the shore and there's some people out in the lake, if it's calm and they're talking out there, you can sort of eavesdrop in on the conversation because the water's just, the, the, the sound waves bouncing off the surface of the water. So Jesus goes out a ways. If he's a couple hundred feet off, say if he, if he was just to the back of the auditorium and he was speaking, there would be so many more people able to hear. And so that's what they do. And Jesus is preaching from Simon's boat, and of course, Simon has a great spot. He's got the best seat in the house, and how happy Peter must have been. We know Peter. Uh, he's, being, he's, he's, he's honored. Jesus chose his boat, and everybody could see that it was, it was Peter there uh, who rode Jesus out, and Peter who was, was helping Jesus. If there's a if we're in, a, in an, a crowd someplace, and there's a, you know, there's a somebody in the crowd, the, the, the most gifted person, the most popular person, the, the most noteworthy person, and that person selects you to help them with something, or you feel honored by that. Well, Peter's honored. Everyone can see that he's helping Jesus. What an honor. It was a very, very good day. And then it all went horribly south. As Peter's honor is turned into shame and his world is invaded by a holy God. And so point two, the invasion. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now see, Jesus was already using Simon's boat as a pulpit, and Simon was perfectly content with that. If Jesus wanted to use his boat as a pulpit, that was fine. 
But Jesus had now stepped into Peter's world, and Jesus wanted to use the fishing boat as a fishing boat. And Jesus was taking command. Notice, Jesus is not asking Peter to take him fishing. Jesus is taking Peter fishing. Jesus makes the command. Jesus gives the order. You see, he's just, he's just stepping right into Peter's world. As long as Jesus wants to use the boat as a pulpit, Peter's fine with that. That's Jesus' area of expertise, and Peter's more than content to sit and just observe. But when Jesus wants to use the fishing boat as a fishing boat, well, that's Peter's area of expertise. Jesus has overstepped his bounds. And it's clear that he's, Peter's not comfortable. So he responds, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Master, we, we being the expert fishermen, we toiled all night. Fishing is hard work. And Peter's been at it for all evening. And there was nothing caught. You see, Jesus is not saying, Peter, let's just row out a little bit and throw a line in the water. That's how we fish. That's not how they fish. Then you take this big, lunky net and you throw it in the water. And then you've got to drag it in hand over hand. It's hard work. You see, there's so much here that Peter is, he's just not comfortable with. He's not real comfortable with Jesus Jesus taking command of his boat as a fishing boat. And and he's not really excited about rowing this thing out into the deep water in what would certainly prove to be a futile fishing venture. Everything about this is wrong. It's the wrong time, wrong time of day. Why were they out at night fishing? Because, not because they were insomniacs. They, they, that's when it was most likely to catch the fish as they were up at the surface feeding. It's the wrong place. Fish are clearly not in the area. Peter's been at it all night and nothing has been caught. It's the wrong strategy. To row out into the deep is just foolishness. You see, fishermen know that fish like to hang around structure of some sort. Maybe a drop-off, some weed beds, some uh, sandbar, fish-like structure. If you just go out into the deep and throw a net out as if there's just sort of fish everywhere, I mean, it just reveals the ignorance of this novice, this amateur. Someone who doesn't understand how to fish particularly the Sea of Galilee. And yet Peter, to his credit, at least in his mind, decides to humor the Lord. Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. It sort of has a passive-aggressive feel to it, doesn't it? I mean, he's submitting, sort of. He just wants to be on record as not being responsible for this fool's errand. And when the nets come back empty, he won't have to say, I told you so. He can just sort of smile smugly while Jesus apologizes for wasting his time. Jesus has absolutely teed him up. (laughs) This is a great story. I mean, if you could just watch Peter's face over the next five minutes, ten minutes here. So, Peter's rowing out. He's not happy. You know what I think? One of my fantasies of heaven is sitting down and hearing Peter tell this story. Because I think, I think it would just be uproariously funny as Peter's explaining how, what he was actually thinking um, as he's rowing this boat out. What a good guy I am. You know, I haven't slept all night, but Jesus asks, I'm the good disciple. See me? I'm going to row out and we're going to do this silly thing and... And at least it won't be long. 
And we can go back in. When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. Can you imagine now this transition in Peter's emotions? So they throw the nets out. And he starts, as he always does, as he was doing all night long, right, starts pulling these nets back in, and, and there's an initial tug, and there would have been some surprise. <laughs> How do you like that? <laughs> we, we caught something. We managed to, to snag some poor, lost, wandering fish out here in the deep. But, but, but then as he begins to draw the net in, the surprise would have turned to astonished incredulity. They had gotten really lucky incredibly lucky. Somehow they'd managed to snag a whole bunch of lost fish, and, and, and he's beginning to drag it in. It, the nets start to break. And he quickly realizes he's not going to be able to do this by himself, and so he, he uh, motions the other guys, come on out, come on out, hurry. And so the, Jane, John and James, they row out with their boat, and, and they begin hauling in these fish. Fish after fish after heaping loads of flopping fresh fish until the boats are just about to sink. And somewhere in that process, the truth breaks in Peter's world. And he knows that Jesus had just caught him. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Now, if you just kind of rush over that story and you, you read it quickly, um, it just seems like an odd thing to say. I mean, you think they'd be high-fiving. You, you think maybe he'd say thank you. Well, I don't know, but why this? Well, Luke tells us why, because verse 9, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. The, the word astonish, it, it, it means amazement, giving away to fear oftentimes. It is to be overwhelmed. It's not to be intrigued or even surprised. It's, it's to be overwhelmed, brought to deep awe, reverential fear. You see, what's happened is Peter has been found out. The secret thoughts of his heart have been exposed in front of Jesus. You see, Peter knows those fish are not supposed to be there. He's an experienced fisherman. It's the wrong place. It's the wrong time of day. And they should not be here in these numbers. So why are they there? And at some point, the truth breaks through. They, these were not lost fish. These were divinely commanded fish. Every flopping last one of them. And every time one of those fish came over the boat, in, over the side into the boat, every last one of them was a testimony to the power of God, the divinity of Jesus Christ, and the incredible arrogance of Peter. Maybe early in the process, he looked over and he saw Jesus sitting there to see if Jesus was as surprised as he was, and he noticed Jesus wasn't surprised at all. Jesus had sort of this humor, humor just look on his face, waiting for Peter to get. <laughs> I mean, just put yourself in Peter's shoes. Peter the expert has proved to be Peter the ignorant and Peter the arrogant. And Jesus knew all along. Jesus knew what was going to happen before he stepped into the boat. He knew what Peter was going to say before he even said, let's go fishing. And he knew exactly how Peter was going to respond, what Peter was going to do. Peter was laid wide open, utterly exposed. He'd been caught. Jesus, you see, had put his finger on Peter's most... Heinous sin, his pride, his pride. 
Peter was a good man. To all external appearances, he was a good man. He's clearly a hard-working man. He's clearly a loyal man, a devoted man, an able man, but he's a proud man, a man who's very confident of his abilities and his devotion. And that Peter can never be useful to Jesus. That's why he answered the way he did. His pride was offended. Jesus had stepped over the bounds, but now he realizes Jesus has orchestrated the entire thing. He knew exactly what Peter was thinking as he was rowing that boat out there. And Peter is now sitting with all of these, these fish, all this evidence, this irrefutable evidence of the power and divinity of Jesus Christ, and his, it just exposes his own foolish, wicked, ridiculous arrogance. Remember in, uh, in when we were in Luke chapter 4, we noted that Jesus' preaching exposes things. When Jesus preached, demons would say, we know who you are, and, and he would command them to come out. As Jesus exposed the hidden thing there. And when Jesus preached in Nazareth, he exposed the people of Nazareth to be proud and hateful as they end up trying to kill him. Well, Peter's just been exposed as a puny, pompous little speck of dust who had the audacity to tell the second person of the Trinity that he didn't know what he was doing. No wonder he says, depart from me. He's doing exactly what Adam did, isn't he? He's hiding. That's what he wants to do. He just can't, he, can't, he can't be in that light. He needs to hide. The gig is up. Jesus knows him. He's not worthy to be a, a disciple. He's not worthy to be Jesus' helper. He's a failure. He's a fraud. He's just an arrogant, pompous little man. A wicked, wicked sinner. Have you ever been exposed like that? You were carefully building your spiritual resume and others believed it and maybe you believed it. Taking a lot of care to be seen as a good person, someone who was thoughtful and wise, maybe even holy. And then suddenly you were exposed. Maybe to others around, maybe just to your own eyes. But, but you were caught in some sin or God just pressed home the reality of, of a sin in your life and there it was laid out in all of its ugliness. And you were exposed to be a liar or a cheat, a thief, a fornicator, an adulterer. And there was no avoiding the truth. There in front of the, in front of the living God, you, you knew what you were. And maybe other people knew what you were. There's no hiding anymore. There's no pretending anymore. Your spiritual resume is trashed. It's shot. I, I hope you've been there, because if it, I, don't, I don't know how you can really know Jesus if, you, if you've never come to that awareness of yourself. It's essential to really experiencing and understanding what grace is about. You see, one of the tragedies in the church is that so often people use the church to try to build their spiritual resume. I'm a good person. I go to church, even though I don't enjoy it, even though I don't particularly like to be there, right? I I suck it up because it's the right thing to do and I, I go to church and, and, and I know my theology and I can argue doctrine with you. And I haven't done this and I haven't done that, right? We're building spiritual resumes. And your spiritual resume will send you to hell if it keeps you from meeting Jesus. 
You have to be exposed. You have to be found out. (laughs) And it's exactly the thing that we fear the most, isn't it? Oh, we're so afraid to be found out. But friends, guess what? This may be your gospel moment because Jesus wants you to know today that he wants you to know that he knows you. He really really knows you. He knows that you don't really want to be here today. You didn't really want to come to church today. He knows that you're resentful with maybe the person sitting right next to you right now. He knows that you're really much more excited about a boyfriend or girlfriend or a work opportunity or a job you got going on than you're excited about the things of God. He knows. He sees. He knows the secret things you hope no one ever finds out about. He knows your wayward, wicked tendencies. He knows all about your pathetic pride. He knows your secret thoughts. He knows all about your failed attempts to improve yourself. He knows all about your silly, wicked confidence in your improved self. He knows it. He sees, friend, he just sees you. You're just, you're just wide open to him today. And Jesus knows that the truth about us is that when it comes to disciples, we are Peter the failure. But notice what Jesus does with people like us and people like Peter. He invites them to himself. He tells us not to be afraid. He, He speaks peace, the peace of God over us and calls us into his mission. Don't be afraid, Peter. Peter was terrified. Why? Because Peter sensed that he was about to go to hell. Peter sensed that he was utterly deserving condemnation, and he was. He was. And so in, in, in the shame of his guilt, he says, depart from me. But Jesus doesn't depart. Praise God, Jesus does not depart. Instead, in the glory of his grace, he says, Peter, come and follow me. And he gives a great response, you see, a, a great promise. Peter, don't be afraid. You come follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. In response to Peter's sin and Peter's confession, Jesus gives this wonderful invitation with a promise. I will make you a full, fruitful participant in the mission of God. Unbelievable. It's not what people expect when they confess their sin. It's not what they expect when they're exposed. And we see what we really are. We do not expect Jesus to say, don't be afraid. Come. Come. I'll make you a fisherman. And yet it's exactly what he says. It's exactly what he says. You see, even though we're horrified and shocked by what we see, Jesus isn't. He knew it before time began. He knew it before he ever came to this world. He knew it before he ever introduced himself to you. He's not surprised. And in his grace, you see, he wants to open our eyes to see the truth about us so that we can see the truth about him. This is the beauty of it. And this is what compels these men to file. They leave everything, their boats, their nets, their income, their, the only life they know. They follow Jesus. What compelled them to do that? It wasn't that they knew Jesus was God. The demons knew Jesus was God, and they were not following. It was the grace it was the grace. 
that Jesus knew them and exposed them, and yet he loved them, and he spoke peace to them, and he wanted them to be with him. He wanted them to be where he was, that he wanted them to be doing what he was doing. He wanted them as his disciples. You see, you could not have, you could not have kept these men from following Jesus. They had to follow Jesus. This is why John says, we've seen him. We've seen him and we've touched him. We've, 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 we've experienced Jesus and I want you to know he's full of grace and truth. He's full of grace and truth. You couldn't have kept him away. Friends, have you seen Jesus that way? Have you seen Jesus full of grace and truth? For some of you, Jesus is the constant accuser. Jesus is the one who's always reminding you, you're not doing enough. You're not good enough. You haven't achieved. You haven't arrived. Or maybe Jesus is, is a sort of a plastic savior out there who just offer, offers sort of empty benevolences upon you, even though you, you're, you haven't repented and you don't grieve your sin. He's just there to sort of rubber stamp your religious life. It's not the real Jesus. There's all sorts of people leave the church thinking that, they're, that you know, they, they want nothing to do with that Jesus. Well, praise God, it's not the real Jesus. Don't leave Christ until you've experienced him, until you've experienced full of grace and truth. Because once you experience that, friend, you can't leave. Not when you know him that way. Isn't it wonderful how Jesus calls you to belong to him? Jesus is willing and desires to be associated with you. And he calls you to fruitful service as his disciple. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Shouldn't we love him? Shouldn't we leave it, let it go and follow him? Let me just wrap up with these few thoughts. There's some great things in this story that I don't want you to miss. What makes us doubt that Jesus would want to use us? What makes us doubt that we could be of any use in the kingdom? Well, it, generally, it's a sense of your sin. It's just exactly what, what Peter's struggling with here. And yet, if you think about Peter, who becomes the leader of the New Testament church, do you realize that the two most painful and sinful moments in Peter's life are the most fruitful moments in his life? There's several painful moments, but, but here's one right at the beginning, and Jesus uses this sin of Peter to call Peter into discipleship. And he uses the, the other great sin when Peter denies that he knows Jesus, he uses that one to install Peter as shepherd of the sheep. In both instances, Jesus knew it was going to happen before it happened, and he allowed it to happen. He allows Peter to commit these great sins. Why? Because if Peter doesn't see himself, if he doesn't see his sin, he will never see the grace. He'll never see the grace of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He will never understand the gospel. He'll never understand Jesus. And he can't possibly, you see, then be any use to the cause of Christ. Because he doesn't get it. He doesn't know it. He hasn't experienced it. Friend, the same is true for you and me. It's not your moments of strength that Jesus is looking to, to to mold you into discipleship. It's your failure. It's your failure. 
Because if, if, if it's your strengths you see, the most you'll see is a good teacher in Jesus, someone who, who gives you good instructions, and you, by your willpower, have managed to keep at least, you know, to fairly well, you've managed to keep the instructions. Well, that's, that's a different Jesus. It's a different gospel. It's a different life. But when you've met Jesus in your weakness, and you've been exposed as a liar, a cheat, a fraud, a pervert, an unbeliever, a proud, pompous little person who has the audacity to tell God he doesn't know what he's doing, and you've been exposed, and the reality of that sin is raw and real, and there's no escaping the truth of it. And then Jesus comes and says, listen, come, follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. Then you know what grace is about. Then you understand what Jesus is about. And then you're compelled to follow. And you're going to be willing to share your story. This had to be a story that Peter referred to when he was doing his ministry, particularly when he would meet pompous little men. He'd say, let me tell you a story about a day Jesus took me fishing. See, Peter had been captured in this story, caught more thoroughly than those fish ever were, caught by the love of God, caught by the grace and the truth that is in Jesus Christ, and he spent the rest of his life then living in that beautiful captivity. And friend, that's Jesus' invitation for you today, to live in that glorious captivity of being sinners exposed and yet sinners loved and sinners washed clean, sinners made new, all by the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. Let's follow him then in that gospel. Amen. Father, our heads are bowed and you know what's going on in our heart. Lord, some of us today are, are really wishing that, this, that we could believe this were true because our sin seems so great. Father, you know every, every person this morning that's, that's wrestling with that. You know the names. I pray, Father, that we would be able to hear Jesus speak directly to us through his word. Do not be afraid. God's peace is upon you as you confess your sin. Yes, you are known, you are exposed before the living God. But Jesus speaks peace to you. Father, some of us are so frustrated with our discipleship. We know the truth, we believe it, we love Jesus, we want to serve him, and yet we find ourselves doing stupid, sinful things, and we need to hear again today Jesus saying, do not be afraid. Come, I will make you a fisher of men. As we, as we confess our sin and receive the truth and the grace of Jesus, we are equipped to go into this new week and, and love our husband and wife and our friends and neighbors and children and and to love lost people, we're, we're freed to be, we don't have to be afraid, we don't have to worry, we don't have to have anxiety. Jesus knows us, and yet he calls us this week 
to trust in his grace, to live in his grace, and to speak his grace to others. And that our weakness, our shame and our guilt is what manifests the beauty and the glory of Jesus. And so we don't have to hide and we don't have to feel like failures. We can feel like disciples. And Father, there's a world all around us who doesn't know about these things. And Father, I pray that your spirit would press upon our heart the desire to be fishers of men, that we would be compelled to let others know about this Jesus who, who knew us and yet loved us and loves us still. Oh God, I pray that you would bring great healing, great strength, great peace, and joy and gospel power into our lives as we walk with this Jesus. We pray it in his name, amen.